Hello. Hello, Marilyn. How are you? Hey, Dan. How's it going, buddy? I don't know. You know, sometimes it feels like the time in between our shows is is, is like a flies by. Other times oh, it seems like it's God. been forever since the last time we talked. Oh, it's crazy. It's a Synecdoche, New York type situation. Yes. Oh, my goodness. It's been a big week. It's been a huge week Mastodon, uh, since, you know? since last we talked. And uh, boy, it's it's exciting times. I, I, I made myself coffee. I've uh-huh. got a uh, I've switched brands for seltzer. I'm now a Canada dry man. Instead of LaCroix? Mm, LaCroix is now officially my number two. Really? What happened? Why? I have discovered, as I think I mentioned once before, let me tell our listeners that we're recording the program. I'm drinking um, a LaCroix right now, a coconut. Hmm, co- coconut. My lady likes the pomplamoose. She likes the uh, the grapefruit. Uh-huh. That's actually pretty good. There's a watermelon uh, one that's not bad, too. Watermelon. Right. I, I, uh, I discovered, I'm usually a refresh A man, but... I have a uh, a gig economy grocery delivery service that I use that charges extra for Safeway, and they don't charge extra for almost anywhere else. And I finally realized I was way overpaying for generic seltzer when I could get the Canada Dry. This is so interesting for like sixty percent of the cost. And you know what? I like the taste better. I detect a difference in taste. It's got a, a slightly rounder, fruitier taste. Mm. The Canada Dry. And I just had. We mentioned this last week on our last episode, which was last week. I had myself some uh, some delish brand uh, premium blend nut nuts from uh, from the Walgreens. They've stopped using nice for everything, and they've now they've got a variety of different generics that they use, and it's kind of disconcerting. Mm. What about my ibuprofen? No, not Safeway. Um, let's see my my isopropyl alcohol, my ninety one percent isopropyl alcohol that I use to clean my mouse. That's well at Walgreens brand. Mm. The nuts our delish premium blend my walgreens hydrogen peroxide is signature care it's an interesting move oh my goodness we have so much to talk about did you hear about the new max pro yes i i heard that apple is going to be updating their computer yep so we ask our listeners if that's <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, what did we say last week we wanted to talk about? Did you want to did you want to tell me about uh Weezer? What is the Weezer cover? Excuse me. Oh my god, my nuts. Oh goodness. I better have some Canada to try. Hmm. Hmm. I remember last week. <laughs> remember last week when I had that kombucha? <laughs> yeah, has that resolved itself since then? <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I think I don't think uh, I've ever heard this happen to you on the show. Oh my god. I might be having a fit. Hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna mute while you tell me about the uh, Weezer cover you like. Okay, the one I was talking about last week. Oh, in the last week program that we did seven days ago. Yeah, tell me what what, what was that Weezer cover you like? Well, Weezer did a cover of Radiohead's Paranoid Android, mm-hmm. and it is released as a video on YouTube. And it is, I think I was saying last week, that it was my favorite cover. It really is of my favorite cover of almost any song. They do such a good job of it, and it's not like I'm a big. Weezer fan, like I liked Whoa. some of their this is stuff. Really good. Are you listening to it? Yeah, it's. I mean, it really sounds like the song. Right. They don't. They don't like completely reinvent it. They. No, no, like, they're, not, they're not doing any kind of like funky monkey business. Right. They're just. It's them doing that song, and I. I really like it. Hmm. Good. Good pick. Yeah. That's it. That's all I got this week. Uh, me too. Well, you want to button this up? Yeah. Why don't we? Let's see, Max Pro. We um, 
we do still have lots of great uh, questions from listeners that we can get to in the fullness of time. Um, what else is going on in your neck of the woods? Well, um, you know, Mastodon, the new social network. I, uh, I've been using that for, I've been signed up anyway for about a week now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I signed up last week also. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's the, did you, get um, on the new, did you get on the new instance or the other instance? Well, there's a whole lot of instances. Oh yeah. Get your Sinatra and your struts. But I, uh, I also, you know, the, the thing that's interesting that Apple said about the Mac Pro. Yeah, okay, let's let's. You, you know want to hit that or just screw skip it? it? Yeah, fine. We have to. We're uh, we have uh, to. Yeah, I guess. I uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, so now is the part of the program we, we have we, to we will talk about uh, the an, an announcement. <laughs> we have yes. to. Yeah, I know. It's in it's in the charter. So Apple has announced that in a, in a very covert private meeting that only a, a couple, three, four, five people were invited to. Coastal media elites. Yeah. They were invited to go and sit down with Schiller very, and a very few interested other people. with who uh, was not invited. Not, excuse me, not invited. Yeah, why do you think that, why do you think the invitations went the way they did? No Walt, no Kara. Right? No. No Dalrymple? Dalrymple would be an easy win. Like, because he's right there anyway. Yeah, he like lives like next door. He's, he has, like, he's an sleeping right next on door. their lawn, basically. <laughs> You're gonna finish that? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know why they picked the ones that they did, but uh, some good yeah. picks in there. And and they uh, they basically said, in in summation, uh, the Mac Pro that we came out with a few years ago and haven't updated since isn't what people wanted, and we're coming out with something new. And it's going to take a year or so before anyone sees that. But in the meantime, we're bumping the existing one specs a little bit. But the new thing that we come out with in a year or so will be much more modular and easy to upgrade. And every Mac Pro user or ex-Mac Pro user who still wants to be a Mac Pro user will love it. And they didn't talk about what exactly it will be or what it will look like, but they did reveal that it will be modular and there will be components or components, as you say. Mm, yeah. And uh, and that it will they will also be making an external display for it as well. And how do you how does that sit with you? Because I know that you are your primary machine in your home, your personal office, your private office is yeah. a is a is it a two thousand eight Mac Pro. <laughs> Um, Isn't that I, popped, what you had in there? I popped for a Retina iMac, 5K okay. iMac in, I want to say August okay. 2015. Oh, for some reason I thought you had a, it was still a Mac Pro. No, it's sitting here. It's sitting here. It's got a sticker with Remy on it. Um, it's, um, no, I, I mean, it was, it became, you know, untenable. Yeah. Um, I, I love it. I, I don't know. I mean, I will, as usual, tune in for the live stream of ATP, which I think they're recording tonight to hear. Because, I mean, that's just that's the constant conversation on there. Right. I'm interested to hear what they say. I haven't read a lot about this. I feel most motivated to talk about just interesting things about how they did this, which is probably what everybody else is talking about, too. But I don't I don't know F all about uh, Lake Water Chips and Glenn Greenwald. GPUs or I don't know anything about any of that, but <laughs> right. I, I do think there are based on the half article that I read about this, that there are some very interesting things. And the two podcasts I've already listened to about this, that, um, isn't that a funny trend? Isn't that funny? I, I read about half of Gruber's article and then I read, I've listened to two different podcasts where people talked about this today. How crazy is that? Mm-hmm. 
that's a change in media diet. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Could we talk a little about that? I mean, there's some interesting yeah. stuff here. I mean, yeah. let's, let's start at the top. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It is certainly not unheard of. Anybody who has friends, <laughs> anybody who has friends who are Apple world big shots know that there are occasionally, there are occasions where people we know are sometimes brought into, um, shockingly intimate high level private meetings to brief people about things. Right. There are people who get, you know, test units and stuff, but the idea of bringing in however many people, how many was it, like five? Yeah, I think it reporters? was five. Now what five. I've, what I've typically heard when they have a new hardware to introduce that they're, that they want to get reviews for on the day that it uh, is released. Typically about a week before they will take a handful of journalists and they will bring them out or, tell them that they need to come and visit Cupertino and mm -hmm. that person will show up. They'll be taken into a room with one of the higher ups at Apple and they'll say, this is our new, whatever it is. Usually it's a laptop or something like that. And they'll say, this is our new one. Uh, we're giving this to you. Don't obviously talk about it, but use it and write your review. And we're going to be coming out with this on Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific time. The embargo will be lifted. Then please write about it. Then in the meantime, use it and enjoy it. And so the journalist goes away and does their work and then they release it. This is one of the first times that I've heard where they had a such, as you describe it, an intimate small group brought into almost like a private right. discussion. The the one-on-ones the -on that have happened, which I am not at liberty to discuss, the ones that I'm aware of, which again, I just want to underscore can be shockingly high level stories that will eventually come out someday. Um, those are not discussed. Right. They're not disclosed. They are not, you basically, what you'll find out is like, hey, here's your unit to take home. Do you have any questions for this surprisingly high level person? The one-on-one -on -one thing I know about happening. Right. The like calling in like, you know, a town hall size group, obviously, you know, um, a sub iPhone sized event. That's interesting. The combination of what they had to say and how they chose to have other people say it is very interesting. I think those are two things we could focus on. What it is that yeah. they said, which is very unusual for Apple in a couple ways, and the way that they chose to do it, um, it feels a little different. I agree. Well, what, what are and maybe, thoughts? And maybe they're, well, maybe they're related. This is a, this feels like, and other people have said this on at least two podcasts I heard today, but I mean, it's unusual for Apple. It's unusual for Apple to admit that something did not go very well. Um, I mean, if generally when, when Apple, when something doesn't go well or when they've gotten stuck in some kind of PR poop storm, mm -hmm. they're ready to have a response when they have a very, when they're ready to release a solution, right? right. So I'm trying to remember like something like the stupid antenna gate thing. Did they talk about it? They didn't talk about it I don't think much until they were ready to say, well, here's what we know about that. And everybody gets a rubber bumper. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, questions we've all had for a long time. Why, how can you in good conscience sell essentially a three-year-old computer at a premium rate, especially after having, um, bragged about how great you are at innovating. Yeah. How, how weird is it to do that? You know, as we see, 
there's been this problem for year, uh, coming on years now of like, we just don't know where Apple is going with this. Right. We see these dribs and drabs of what gets released, and then we try to read the tea leaves and explore the criminal, criminology to figure out what it means that this has one port and a different keyboard. What does that say about the future of serious computing? Oh, okay, well, now Sal's not working there anymore. Does that mean no more automation? And it's just been criminal, criminology all the way down, title, as we try to figure all these things out. Now, this is this is a very interesting thing. They did not release a new computer today. They announced. So the, they announced the, that there would be a new computer sometime well, sec, in the second, I guess they announced revisions that went up for purchase or order today. There are revisions to the existing Mac pro that went up today, right? Right. It is, it has been bumped in performance uh, for the first time, guy. I think since it, since the original came out in 2013, right? Mm, no, it had, it had at time. least one small bump in between, right. but like as the tech guy on this uh, program, I mean, how significant are those bumps? They're, they're pretty, aren't they pretty? They're not giant. They're not, they're they not, switched a couple they're not much. Up. They're not much. Okay. And then they said. No, no one's, no one's going to look at this computer and say, yeah, this is what Apple should have given us. I mean, I am not a, I'm no, um, I'm no uh, Steven, but like, I'm not an Apple historian, but I wonder how many times there have been where somebody like a Phil Schiller goes, you know what? We kind of got that wrong with that mac pro yeah like, i mean they, what they had to and that's the, that's the thing about this time and and what's so different about it is that it, it's been radio silence from apple for so long about this machine that it, it it i don't feel like they had any other choice but to either announce we're done with the mac pro it's done we're not doing that anymore or they had to do something. And, you know, we always joke about the term finally, but really this mm -hmm. was a long right. time coming. And we absolutely needed, for anyone who's interested in the Mac Pro as a, as a, as a machine, as something that's a viable machine, um, you know, it's almost weird that they did a performance in, uh, improvement on this particular one because I just don't think that's, you know, now that... You know, and here's the weird thing is like you don't want to talk too much about what your product is that's coming out in six months. And this one will be more than six months. But like you don't want to talk about your next product too much. You want people to buy the current one. I'm just right. surprised that there are really people today uh, who are out buying Mac Pros. Like I don't know anyone that's that's seriously having to buy a Mac Pro if there's any other choice for them. Mm -hmm. Well, and they, they also somewhat atypically mentioned some numbers. I mm -hmm. hear this secondhand about – and a lot of people are even su surprised that even 20% of their sales are, are desktops. But yeah. you know, there are people who have to have it, I guess. I mean, if you have to do really high-end stuff and you're, you're a Mac shop, I mean, again, you know, probably a different a different podcast. But uh, it's, it's definitely very interesting that they chose to say what they said through these people. So, I mean, the good stuff. I mean, it's good that they're – it's good that they're going to update this thing. Not update this thing. It sounds like they're re they say they're basically rethinking it. I think that's yeah. really good. Yeah, I mean it is good, and it's good that they're being open about it. Because, but they also had to. They also had to say something about well, it. Well, they didn't. They didn't really have to. I mean, they kind of had to. But one point that Jason and Mike talked about on upgrade was that I think is very interesting is when you think about this thing being modular. Does that mean modular for us or modular for them? Because and I, I'm strictly just quoting what they said a few hours ago on upgrade. 
the live stream, which I listened to because I'm broken inside. Uh, and they, but they basically said, look, modularization for us, like we think of the cheese grater where you can put whatever you want. You could, you could turn your, you know, your optical drive into an ashtray if you want to. I'll, I'll tell we, you what it, exactly what it means. It means easy for them. No, I think it means easy for us. I Do think you? it, yes. You, I think abs- you can put your own GPU in there. Yes. I think this okay. is, this is what I believe that they're going to do. And if they're smart, oh, that'd this be great. is, that this would is be what so great. Do. This is what, this is, this is the only Apple solution that I can think of. Okay. I am pretty sure that the days of Apple making what I would call an open kind of a box, that is to say something like the Mac Pro that you have under your desk, which is called the cheese grater style Mac Pro, that is essentially, it's a it's a motherboard with a bunch of ports in it. And if you want to get a, a Mac compatible device, whether it's a network card or a graphics card or whatever, and just opening it up and throwing that in there, I think those days are gone. I think mm-hmm. when when we're when they're talking about modular, I think they're saying we're going to come out with something that is a case that a user, an advanced user by today's standards, can open up and install something into, whether that's RAM or whether that's additional hard drives or whether that's an improved GPU and maybe even improved CPU at some point, but it would be in Apple's best interest to make that easy to do. And you know what? I think Apple would be smart to sell the modules themselves and not leave it open and say, yeah, you know, this is a PCI slot, put in whatever you want. They won't do that, but they mm-hmm. will have an Apple, com- whatever, they, if they come up with their own port or there's a, their own little chassis, their own thing that they sell. But what that's going to let them do is every few years come out with something new and say, oh, if you want to expand your graphics capabilities, you can spend six ninety nine on this new graphics module and you can pop it in and yes behind the scenes that'll be a graphics card that'll have drivers built into the os for it etc but i think that's what they're talking about i i I really think that that's because apple's whole thing they've taken away our ability to upgrade pretty much anything on almost all of their computers i think there's a the the 27 inch imac maybe the only one that you can the only iMac that you can put your own RAM into, you can't upgrade RAM or drive or battery on pretty much any laptop these days. They've made these sealed enclosed systems. And I think to Apple, what really should have differentiated the Pro or what should differentiate the Pro is that this is a uh, a, a kind of device that people are really going to want to upgrade or improve on their own. How does Apple provide that without going back on their uh, company-wide, product-wide decision to not really make anything upgradable that would have to still be completely controlled by Apple. And this is the only way that I think they can do it. And of course, I could be wrong, but I that fully, seems That seems sensible. It seems sensible, sane, and in line with how they operate. That's what they've got. It. That's the only way I can see them doing it. And, and imagine how nice that would be for people who are high-end uh, people who want to say, you know what, I have a machine yeah, I want to add graphics functionality to it. I want to upgrade what we can do with this. VR is a big thing. I mean, you've had the big players in VR f- right. not imply, not hint, but flat just out straight say, up say, yeah, it's just this is not this is not anywhere near feasible on the hardware that's, that's available right. from Apple. How embarrassing is that? That oh, you know, right. and if if anything, we don't want to look at our Macs as being toys. We want them to be serious machines for audio production, video production, VR. Like the you know the main reason. That people are are getting these high end graphics. Something, something chips. you can do. Something you can do with a game console, which right. I, I realize right. that PlayStation is a is a workhorse compared to you know. But I mean, like that's that's kind of um, not embarrassing, but it no, certainly it is, doesn't it make, is embarrassing. It doesn't make you feel good. It is yeah. embarrassing because why you know why should I be able to go again and 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 spend eleven hundred bucks 
and put together uh, a, a quote-unquote Hackintosh-type machine and th- be able to throw any graphics card in there that I want and run the highest-end VR stuff on it, but I can't do that with a Mac that I spent three times the money on. That's, yeah. That is embarrassing. And they I should be embarrassed, that. and they should be doing what they're doing now because this is a way to to make the Mac Pro something that people will really want. Right. I think it's – I think what – I'm not going to say, oh, what they did was really great and what a great company Apple is. To, no, they they should have been doing this all along. How can a company with Apple's amazing resources and talent and, and so many uh, really, really smart people working behind the scenes there have let this ball drop for so long that you get this, the game company saying, sorry, we're, like Macs are a joke. You can't do anything VR on them and VR is well, the future I've been, of everything. I've been thinking about this a lot and I think one problem – Problem, one of the many problems when you get into this criminology is it does get very emotional um, and it does get very speculative. Um, so, I mean, one thing I want to kind of bracket and call out is that the, the people that I meet or people I know that work at Apple uh, aren't dummies. Not and they all. are. Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to avoid going into the whole, like, you guys, be nice to Apple. But I am what I am going to say is that they are very – they are more aware of their imperfections than we'll ever be. Mm. They, they know – they are aware of problems that we just – you know, we, we couldn't even guess at. Like they, and, they, and they're bugged about it. They can't talk about it. They won't talk about it. Um, that's – one reason I try to be somewhat measured about how – great guns I go on, you know, yelling at Apple because Apple's made out of people who are trying really hard. Okay. Enough said about that. I do think they hear, I do think people listen to ATP. I do think people read Gruber. I do think people at Apple have probably really noticed the din of diehard fans, including you and me, who have gotten very skeptical about where the company has decided to go. For all we know, people who Apple at Apple might listen to this show. They probably heard us, you know, whining like a stuck pig. Um, but here's the thing. Um, when we say, when we and I understand what you mean when you say they had to do this. Um, I feel like I, I've been just kind of operating on this. We, okay. So there's a link I added to show notes. You're familiar with what's called Occam's razor. Yes. Occam's razor, according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, uh, simply says that among competing hypotheses, the one with the fewest assumptions should be selected. Meaning, you know, it's a little bit Sherlock Holmes, right? You know, once you rule out, you know, the, once you rule out all these wackadoo things, like the only thing that's left is the truth. And, the, you know, look for the simplest explanation for something. This has been adapted many, many different ways. Very famously last summer during the election, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, Josh uh, Marshall from Talking Points Memo developed uh, uh, his own razor based on the Republican candidate. We said that um, I figured out that the stupidest possible scenario that could be reconciled with the available facts almost always turned out to be right. <laughs> so you can make all kinds of razors. Well, I'm now prepared. I don't want to call this man's razor, but because um, I, I want to save that for something better. Here's my razor. <laughs> So, so for a minute, let's take out our emotions. Let's take out our guesses about how engineers feel. I'm going to say this is the new. This is my razor for Apple. Among competing Apple hypotheses, the one that involves Tim Cook finding financial viability should be selected. I think this comes down to viability. 
what what they can produce just covering all the calculus about what the parts cost. Will they make it themselves? Will it work with this, this, this thing and that thing and all the different parts of this entire stack, including marketing and sales and rollout and dates and that impossible date, date and technology math that is done to decide what to do about a product. I think the simplest possible explanation is that Apple does what they do when they think it is a financially viable, financially sound thing to do. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think if we took off our emotion goggles for a minute, please capture that. If we took off our emotion goggles and really looked at what's going on, I think that's a very sensible way to look at it. If you use that just for the sake of argument as a thought technology, use that as a guiding principle and take away all this you know, guesswork about you know, whether Apple thinks they're hurting bloggers' feelings and stuff like that. I think that's the way to look at it. I think what they, they must have arrived at a point where they said something, there was some operational tale to be told here where they've realized there's something that they can do. Somebody maybe had the big idea or some group had the big idea for what to do here and it makes financial sense. Right. I mean, this is this is not a p- particularly insightful way to look at this, but I think that's I think it's I think it's a sensible way to look at it. 100% agree. They're not thinking they're not thinking with their dicks. Like they're they are a big ass company that has one product line that is a huge amount of what they do that they do absolutely do not cannot afford to screw up. Remember, the higher you go, the further you got to fall. And then they, they need to make smart decisions about deploying resources and rolling things out at huge scale in a way that's sensible. And I, among competing uh, Apple hypotheses, the one that involves Tim Cook finding financial viability should be selected. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And there's no better way to say what you just said. It makes perfect sense. Apple is a consumer-focused company. They're a consumer electronics company. They're making things that uh, that they want to sell. And... If they have- and then and then there's strategy. There's there is definitely strategy and smarts involved in how you roll that out. So if they decide Tim Cook something the little thought bubble or the little like light bulb goes off and Tim and his team say okay this is now financially viable to make this particular thing we want to make. Guess what? Now they have a story and here's the story. You know what? You're right. This is this is actually very Steve Jobs in some ways. Mm-hmm. You start with the product. That's the primary thing is the product. The product right. is they want to put out a new Mac. Right. We're the ones who are allowing this to become a story about the Mac Pro from three years ago. Fine. That's that's what we can write articles about. But let's look at it from their point of view. Hey, here's this new Mac we want to put out. And you know what? Announcing it now will help with people who are worried about the future of Apple. We don't want to lose those diehard folks. Certainly. They're not stupid. But now the, sto- the story becomes, hey, you know what, guys? You're right. Sorry. We ate the booger a little bit over the last few years with that, but we are so dedicated to Macs that, that first of all, you're going to get a bump today. You're going to get some exciting iMacs coming soon. And in calendar 2018, you are going to see a Mac Pro that's going to make you feel great about being an Apple fan. That story makes a lot of sense to me. It, they don't start by going, gosh, I wonder if Marco is mad. Right. I think they start by saying, what is the product that we can make a butt ton of money off of? Right. Yep. And reverse engineer the story out of that that's just smart. That just makes sense. And like, we're the ones who need this to be in this, like whatever Robert McKee way, we need this story that makes sense to us. But that's, that's my hypothesis. So going forward, I'm going to try to be smarter about looking at the money, follow the money as they, as right, sure. said, I'm going to try and look, be smarter about looking at the man who ran operations for Apple now runs Apple. Like, how does he see this stuff? And to me, that's that's the only sane way to look at this. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to like take the emotional tea leaf reading out of this. So that's, but it was certainly a very interesting way 
to frame the story and have other people tell it. Yeah, if, I like the idea of having other invite. people tell it. Yeah, I mean, it's... But why not Walt Mossberg? Walt Mossberg, I don't know, maybe because they, you know... I mean, he's kind of the dean of... He I mean, is. I'm not, I'm not the hugest fan of his work, but, you know, he's certainly very well respected and followed and, you know... You know, maybe but, maybe it's because, again, Apple is all about controlling the message. They've always been about controlling the message. Yeah. And, and, you know, if they were to just, it wouldn't be possible for them to just release their own statement about this. That would be weird. At the same time, they can't release a performance bump to, to these machines without some kind of explanation. Uh, yeah. because then it would seem like, wow, they really have forgotten. They, you know, they gave us a better, uh, better CPU, big, big deal. Like, come on, Apple, they had to release this in a way that they feel like they could control the message. And I'm not implying that everybody in that room, uh, was necessarily going to tell the story the right way or be sympathetic to Apple. But I feel like the people that they chose that, that was absolutely 100% a, a, an intentional conscious decision and carefully planned and carefully selected. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe because they know those people will relay it and tell it in the way that, that they want them to. That's you. I think you exactly nailed it. I think that's exactly right. I'm, I'm trying to tread carefully here because I don't want to say anything that I don't actually think. Um, but you know, those are, if we look at this as having a plan for a product to sell and then kind of reverse engineering a story, it helps a lot to have that story told by credible people who do kind of lean Apple's way and yeah. who are happy to be the bearer of the message that uh, part of the career upon which my work is based is very sound and going great places and you will have lots of time to continue to appreciate these things. Right. I say that with all, all due deference and respect. but no, that's for sure. I mean, there's a reason, I guess, that they didn't bring in people who develop for Android to tell this story. <laughs> yeah. Interesting to see. Interesting week. Dan, is there uh, anything this week that you'd like to tell me about that you like? Yes, I would love to tell you about Flow. Have you heard of Flow? Not, oh, I know about Flow. You have? What do you know oh, about Flow? Oh, it's lousy with Wilkinson's. Ugh, the worst, those guys. I have used I have used Flow, and it is a badass product that, that I can recommend for teams. It is. It is simple project management for teams everywhere. It helps you run your company. It helps you manage your team. It helps you run projects your way. And, and not according to somebody else's rules or concepts of the way you should run a project. And basically, it lets you stay on top of everything that's happening at work. That's their goal. And, you know, one of the things that you, you hear this and I go, okay, well, who, who is it for? Who is Flow for? If you're it, really anyone who's having trouble managing a busy team, if you find that you're dealing with tons of emails, tons of notifications, if you're just kind of struggling to keep up with who is working on what flow is absolutely for you. This is what they do best. And it, you really, at any point when you say, you know what, email sticky notes to do apps, this is not enough, but I don't really want some kind of complex project management tool. That's, that's overkill for me. That's more than what we need yep. flow. It's, it's simple. It's beautiful. It's easy to use. It's designed for the users not just the managers, not just the, the people at the top, but for people who are going to have to use this every day by a team who is really amazing. They've worked with companies like Slack, like Apple, Ted, Tumblr, you name it. These guys really know what they're doing. And uh, and it, it's wonderful. It Just think of it like this. Flow lets you stay on top of everything. I'm going to give them that. They mm, can run with that. Them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that. I'm not going to charge extra. 
for that. And of course, it's designed for teams who are distributed as well as in the same place. It doesn't matter. You can be anywhere, local, distributed, anything in between, and you get the space to collaborate and focus on the stuff that's important. They made a special URL, and I love this URL. It's the best URL we've we've ever had. The getflow.com slash bokbok, <laughs> which is spelled B-O-K-B-O-K, of course. Getflow.com slash bokbok, and you get a free trial. And uh, listeners of this program who go there will save 20% on a monthly plan or 30% on an annual subscription. The way to get it, getflow.com slash bokbok. Thank you, Easter Bunny. Bok, bok. Thank you, Flo. Dan, um, we started this a little bit last week when we recorded last week, but uh, we've had a bunch of uh, great uh, uh, feedback from listeners, questions, and topics they would like us to talk about. Could we uh, work on some of that today? I would love to to try and get through that. There's one um, you and I both want to talk about, but I think in particular I want to throw to you is from listener Craig. Craig, yeah, we can't say who he is, can we? No, no, Craig, last name withheld. Craig, last name withheld. He says, um, yeah, go ahead. Hi, hi, Dan slash Merlin. Love the show and all the great episodes. My question is probably more for Dan on whether there have been any episodes in the past discussing more about how you got over your anxiety. I've heard you mention it a few times and how you worked hard to get over those feelings and the reflux. He's talking about uh, GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, to avoid medication. This is something that hits home to me as I'm a very anxious person. I'm currently on medication for reflux. I've tried a couple medications for anxiety and speaking to a few therapists over the years, but nothing seems to help very much. Now I find that I've gotten worse since having kids because I worry about them and my wife or how they'd be affected by things happening to me. I'm trying to get better at mindfulness and exercise, but I know it's a weak excuse. Finding the time to do this properly, to do this properly is difficult. I think I actually get anxious about the process not working, to be honest. Would love to hear your thoughts on apps like Headspace and Calm that have you doing 10-minute mindfulness exercises, whether this is actually beneficial or you really need to sit for 30 minutes to an hour, but I'd take any advice. Anyway, thanks for the show and advice. Cheers, Craig. Thanks for listening, Craig. Um, I mean, I have a lot to say about this. We're not going to, I'm not, I don't think we can, I could say it all, but I think there are a lot of people who are dealing with something like what Craig is dealing with, which is mm-hmm. like uh, what, what I was told is called generalized anxiety disorder. That is to say, you're not specifically afraid of flying per se. It's, it's simply just a general anxiety, anxiety throughout the day for no, no real specific reason or for any, for any reason feeling anxious. And, um, and you know, to say that I think he's giving me a way too much credit to say that, like, I, I don't know if you're wired a certain way, as many of us are, I don't know if if you can ever completely say that like you you've cured yourself of having anxiety. I think some people and I'm one of them tends toward stress and anxiety where there's other people <laughs> raise who, his hand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who who other people who just don't. You know, there's other people who just seem to just not care or or they express it or are able to process it in a different way. So like you know, I, I, I hope I didn't give the impression that like I'm like uh, flying around on a uh, zooming around on a cloud or something now because that's that's not the case. But what I did is I came up with ways that um, that helped me sort of deal with, manage, and and cope with the uh, with the anxiety that I feel and reduce it to the point where it's not so much of of an issue anymore, where it doesn't it doesn't control me. Like for example, um. 
you know, and there are so many techniques for this. We talked about the rubber band technique where you snap it on your wrist and do things like that. One of the biggest things though, that I've learned is that if, if you find that you've created a, a kind of thinking, you've created a, a certain mental state or, or type of thinking it's very easy to, and you do it, I think, unconsciously, whether it's a good habit or a bad habit, you tend to reinforce those habits. So if you find that you've created a, a certain way of thinking, you will then begin to reinforce that way of thinking. It will then become a familiar thing to you. It will, we could, you could call it a habit, although it's more complicated than that, I think. But you will begin to reinforce those thoughts and that kind of thinking and it can become very challenging and very difficult to break out of that kind of thinking. You know, uh, it's, it's, and there isn't an easy answer. There isn't an easy way. I definitely think, I mean, I've known people who have had a series of things happen to them that have led them to become kind of anxious or depressed or stressed out. I think that's very different from somebody who, as it sounds like Craig is, uh, and I was who sort of live a life that has kind of tends toward being anxious. There's, there's something very different from having an event that leads you into a state where you're feeling that way versus it's always sort of there. And I remember I used to talk to my therapist when I was talking about stress or anxiety. And I said that it feels like you're kind of carrying around a backpack full of bricks all the time. And you're always kind of dealing with this sort of sub level of, of anxiety and then something will happen which is just it's one brick too many mm-hmm. in the backpack where you just lose it and you freak out or you get super stressed out or you get angry or whatever way you you externalize the the anxiety and for me what really really made a huge difference was starting a meditation practice but that's not always the right answer for everyone for me it was listening to our friends over at Redwood City at IMC talking about uh, mindfulness meditation and going through, we can put that in, in the show notes, but going through mindfulness meditation exercises, um, you know, that, that, that really changed my game. And for me, the answer was, yeah, like sitting for 45 minutes every morning for a couple of years started to make a dent. And mm-hmm. the idea for most people of doing that, like I have two kids now. I need to get them to school at 7.15 every morning. I also, you know, I exercise every single day. Uh, it's something different every day, but I'm doing some kind of physical activity every day for about an hour. When am I going to fit meditation in there? Because, like, I get home from from doing my job at 5.30, uh, sometimes later than that. I want to just see my kids and be with them and then I've got to eat and then I'm like tired and do I really want to do a sitting? Like it's really tough to fit this in compared to when I was doing my practice, which was when I was really in, intense with it and, and seeing the most benefits from it. Like my kid was not even a year old. It was being born or, or like a year old. Like it's a whole, and I was working from home and it's a whole different world. So of course, of course I could do fit in a 45 minute sit every morning. No problem. It's mm-hmm. really hard to do that. Craig is is absolutely experiencing the problem, and we would we would have that saying that we say, well, that's like saying, you know, I'm 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 I don't have enough time, or I'm too scattered uh, to 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 sit and do mindfulness meditation. Is like saying I'm too sick to go to the doctor. That's mm-hmm. the person that needs it most. But there isn't an easy answer. I've never used the two apps that he brings up. He mentions uh, Calm and Headspace. Uh, the reason why is I don't like 
having something like that feel too structured. I don't like having an app, having to use a phone or check in with a technology device or have something remind me, now is when you should do your thing. I tried doing like a minute of mindfulness every hour for a while when I was really having a hard time fitting in a sitting meditation. And so I, you could set an alarm that like at, you know, uh, 45 minutes after the hour, the little thing would go off and then that would be a thing for me to say, okay, I'm going to do 60 seconds of just focusing on my breathing or something like that. I didn't like that, but there's people who love that kind of thing. For me, but here's here's what I'll say. Here's what I will say to, to Craig. For me, that practice was a, a game changer for me and it really, 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 really helped me. Uh, it helped me with the, the GERD thing as well and it helped me get off, I forget, uh, what is it, Little Purple Pill, Nexium? That I was taking where, mm-hmm. where, and for those who didn't hear that story, I was taking that and I went into the doctor and I said, well, my goal is to try and get off of this in, in six months. And he looked at me and as if I had told him the funniest joke he'd ever heard, he, it wasn't a fake, <laughs> good luck. He actually laughed at me like I had done a little jig in front of him. He thought it was the mo- the funniest thing I had ever said. He said, people don't stop taking Nexium. Like you, you're taking this, you're going to be on this now. This is what you're taking. And that, you know, that was enough to kind of piss me off enough to say, no, I am, <laughs> I am going to get off of it. Because, but I knew two, three other people who had been taking it for years and are still taking it to this day. This was, I'm talking about something that happened seven, eight years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and, and my friends are still on it. They still take it. And I didn't want to have to do that. You know, I wanted to figure this thing out. It didn't make sense why I should be wired up this way. So what could I do to, to minimize it. And, you know, like, like life, you know, it's hard, but if you're in the right perspective, if you put yourself in that perspective of, you know, what, what, back in our very early days of talking about when my boss used to stress me out and I used to sit there in, in, you know, my little office at home and he'd be, you know, tw- you know, 2000 miles away or whatever, uh, you know, writing some email that would cause me to like almost go into a panic and be super stressed out and feel like terrible that like, no, I'm just sitting in front of a computer in a room and there's nothing really happening. And to be able to get your perspective on things like that, on, on the fact that like these things that we perceive around us as threats or problems, uh, if, if you have the right perspective on it and you can just get a little little bit of distance away from distance, the problem yeah, exactly exactly that's the key what do you think i have very little to add i think you you put it very very well um i put a link in notes to an uh, episode of another show i do called do by friday <clears throat> it's a pretty wackadoo silly episode you probably don't want to listen to it because it's a really silly show but we did an episode where we um experimented with uh, meditation and uh i only mention it because two things um because there's always two things with me. First of all, my co-host Max recommended a book called Thoughts Without a Thinker, psychotherapy uh, from a Buddhist psychotherapy from a Buddhist perspective, which is supposed to be a really good book. Uh, and I put that in notes as well. Uh, one way of thinking about this. My my only addition to this is um, not particularly useful, but uh, if you're having trouble with, I can't I can't exactly say how to deal with anxiety. I deal with that too. I agree about the distance. My, here's my only remark on on meditation and those apps. Use them if they work for you. I I feel like in my head, as somebody who's experimented with a lot of apps and a lot of methods and a lot of things, <clears throat> I don't want to be precious about this, but I it may be useful to differentiate between at least three different kinds of things, maybe four. 
you've got this overall umbrella of what's called meditation. And inside of meditation, you have mindfulness meditation, which is a very specific kind of meditation. Right. And then you've also got things that I will call relaxation. Mm -hmm. And then you've got things that are what I'm going to call self-hypnosis. Right. Um, and I think it could be very valuable to realize that those are all can be very different things. And, and so the reason I say that is like if you're on a journey, I'm sorry, I don't love that word, but if you are on, if you under, have undertaken a journey to say like, I'm not sure where this is going, but I'm going to find out what I have to learn from mindfulness meditation. And I'm going to learn the particular peculiarities of that. I mean, so like there's a kind of meditation, you know, Zen meditation and mindfulness meditation and the kind of meditation where you like try to picture a candle, mm -hmm. like those are all very, very different things. Mm -hmm. Very, not, it isn't, it's just because your eyes are mostly closed and you're sitting down does not mean they're the same thing. The practice of those things is very different. What you might want to expect from doing those things is very different. The, I forget what the word of the eight, uh, the eight uh, tips and tricks is, but like the right um, sort of attitude that you bring to that, it could be quite different. So again, I, I don't want to be precious, but understand that like just because they call it an app on iTunes does not mean you should consider this the same thing as meditation. Right. Don't sell yourself short on that. With that said, if you want self-hypnosis, if you want relaxation, um, if you want, uh, what is it, when you do positive affirmations, those are all very valuable things. I would just say be careful. If, you, if really you're just trying to be get relaxed, doing things like following your breath, you don't even have to call that meditation. Using your watch to do that thing once an hour might work for you. But don't, I would not, I would just be careful that you don't end up writing off the entire area of what's called meditation, you know, because you didn't like one guy's voice in a relaxation app. That's such a good point. But those are good things. And there are things that like, I like, there's uh, one particular YouTube video that I ripped to an MP3 that's just a, a very, it's, it's very close to what I would call self-hypnosis. And it's a way of trying to get to sleep when you're anxious. And I have found it very valuable at times. Sometimes I'll just leave it on a loop. And like, just if I wake up, I hear that and that helps me go back to sleep. Because I've learned to say, this is the time when I sleep. And when that happens, like, it gives me permission to go back to sleep. So anyway, I think you, you gave a great response. You know, and I hope, I hope it's helpful for people um, while we were, because we streamed the show live, Merlin. Mm -hmm. And uh, listener Richard says, anxiety can- Is that listener Richard A? Yes. He wrote in to say, uh, anxiety can also be comorbid with other mental issues. For me, I found out once I started ADHD medication that so much of my anxiety is absolutely linked to my ADHD. I, I, I don't have any personal experience with that, but it can be part of ADHD. It can be part of depression, right? It's I mean, incredible. anxiety, it, it, you think of it like this. Anxiety is a symptom. It well, is it's a, a little bit. It's a little bit like, you know, headache, nausea, right? Uh, you know, it's like those kinds of symptoms that like can be comorbid concomitant with virtually any kind of medication. <sighs> anxiety, boy, it's a movable feast. You can <sighs> yes. get that attached to just about anything, including nothing. So, um, no, I think, I think you, uh, you give a very good response. I'm glad you, uh, hope it helps as you responded. To I hope that. it helps him. So our thanks to listener Craig, Craig. Um, did you want to tell me about something else that you like? Oh yeah. I mean, why not? Mm hmm. Don't even need a reason. I'll tell you about fresh books, fresh books, fresh books, fresh books, Wonderful, lovely company that, uh, you know, I don't, there's not a whole lot of the invoicing process that sounds like fun or is something that you think of as an enjoyable, but FreshBooks 
actually makes it enjoyable. They make the whole process of creating invoices, finding out if you, if your invoice has been seen, helping you get paid. That's what they're all about. I want to get paid faster, Dan. How's that work? They make that work. Uh, basically, Are you kidding me? No. This hmm. is what they do. This is the whole Literally. thing. This is the whole point of what they're <laughs> about. They, they know that you're going to get paid quickly. They've done, they've done studies that have determined that if you use them, you will get paid faster. And here's why. Here's why. Turns out. Turns out that when you send an invoice with FreshBooks, first of all, it's going to look great. It, they design them to look like clean, professional invoices, not something you've done in some word processing program that's different every time, not just an email with a number in it. These things are, are really attractive. You get to customize them. It helps you break down your services, whatever the services or product is that you're creating. It breaks it down simply, and they handle the process of sending it to the people that need to receive it. So a lot of the time, you might want the invoice to go to like the person who's running the project at the company and then also their accounting department, or they may just want it to go to their accounting. You can update these settings very, very easily. And then when the person receives it, you can log into your FreshBooks account and you'll see that they, that when the email was sent and you can even see when they opened it. So you don't play any more of those games of like, Oh, I wonder if they got it. No, you can see that they've seen the, uh, the invoice right there. You can Gold. send out, you can send out PDFs. They can even print out and mail an invoice to your, uh, to your mom and pop companies that need a, a printed invoice. They've thought of everything, automated late payment reminders. They allow you to take online payments so that like with two clicks, you can set yourself up to receive and take payments online. And your, your clients can now say, you know what? Yeah, we can use our credit card to pay for the stuff that you're doing. They have a new projects feature that lets you share files and, and images and messages with your clients or your employees. It's great. Uh, mobile expenses. I always forget to mention mobile expenses. You can, if you're out on the go, you can take a picture of your receipt on your phone uh, using the FreshBooks app, and then that makes claiming the expense a million times easier. You don't show that up with is like twenty receipts. It's it's great stuff. <sighs> what a great company! So go to freshbooks.com/slash/back-to-work and enter "back to work" in the "How did you hear about us?" section. That is the only way they will know. You heard about this great uh, service from us. So hey, listen, don't 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 crap us negative. Get in there. Let them know where you heard about <laughs> <You're> it. <crap. laughs> don't be crapping me negative. No, don't do that. Mm-mm. Get in there. Really get in there. Get your books fresh with fresh books. Yeah. That's freebie. They're just gonna have to use that. Run with that. Run with that. I'm an idea guy. Our thanks to Fresh Books for supporting Five by Five and Back to Work. Okay, <clears throat> let's do a lightning round. Is that okay? Okay with you? Yeah, let's do it. I'll do these as quick as I can. I got two um, GTD-related ones. Listener Bill, hello, says, um, taking on new areas of responsibility if you're both busy and time-constrained and oversubscribed. Uh, I, I, I assume he's using that term of art from um, getting things done. An area of responsibility is a, like a big area like you know, home life or work life or you know, me life, health life. It's, it's, there's the, you know, but even smaller within that, it could be there's a new job, but it's generally seen to be like in GTD, you've got tasks, a bunch of tasks make a project, a bunch of projects might make a big project. Those projects are all under some kind of area of responsibility. There's something that you have to do in the world that's a big unmovable thing, right? The kinds of things that you cancel other stuff for. Having a child, I guess, arguably, is a new area of responsibility, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And I think it's a really good question. My response to listener Bill is to think very small. 
um, because I believe that even giant responsibilities can and often should start with very small, very narrow, and very dedicated commitment, which sounds silly. But like if you're a responsibility, like in, unless you happen to be a nun at an orphanage in a movie and somebody drops off a baby on your front porch, you might have a little bit of time to know that that's coming. Well, start out small, right? Start figuring out what you need to figure out. So, I mean, in, in order to not be overwhelmed and guarantee that you will screw up, I would say, you know, what they say, you know, the, what do they say in the Dow? You know, the journey of 10,000 miles begins with the first step. Mm. That's, I, I think that's a really smart way to look at it. That's not a complete answer. You're still going to have to go and do the work and move out in concentric circles. But I think it does help to start with, I want to be clear about this. I'm not saying to go half-ass this. You know, like Ron, Ron Swanson says, you know, you shouldn't half-ass everything. You should full-ass one thing. You know, so whatever it is that you're going to do, be very dedicated about what you're going to apply. But if you're going to apply one hour a week to it, apply the shit out of that hour mm -hmm. is what I would say. Mm -hmm. you, have to, you have to beep that. I, I cursed a couple no, times I'm last week I'm not beeping anything. They're all grown-up people here. Also related, listener uh, Rory uh, has a GTD question. Getting things done by David Allen, copyright David Co. 2001. <laughs> GTD context in the modern age, considering that 90%, 90 plus percent of my tasks could be done with my iPhone, which is available 100% of the time, 90% of 100%. Um, it's a good question. Contexts in GTD are a way of describing places, people, uh, opportunities, limitations, so you could, for example, say these are the kinds of tasks that I can only do when, what, when I have my phone, right? These are the kinds of tasks that I can only do when I'm at the house. These are the kinds of tasks that I can only do when I'm at the supermarket. These are kind of classic GTD contexts. The thing that, um, that I tried to do with 43 folders in, in a lot of ways, part of what I tried to do was to say, well, okay, well, what about, what if you are in the situation of, of uh, listener Rory? How do you apply contexts in a world where you have always on internet? Because all of a sudden they seem maybe not as useful. And the truth is that honestly, for me today, I'm not the best person to ask about GTD anymore because I don't really do it so canonically, really at all. But um, I just, I don't, I don't rely on context like I used to. But when I do, um, the things that are important to me, uh, one that's huge is location. If there's a specific location where things can be done or a class of locations, like stuff from Walgreens can only be bought at Walgreens. If I do that enough, maybe that deserves a context. More likely, I have a context called at drugstore, which in my case, in OmniFocus, resides inside of a context called grocery store. Because anytime I'm at a grocery store, I could also get anything that's at a drugstore. Life hack. Um, <laughs> but don't go overboard. Um, in fact, locations can be things like I have one context called at the hood, which is like just stuff I need to do in the neighborhood. So I know that if, like I, if I want to have that little extra time to walk, I've got a little bit of extra time, you know, to do that. I'll go look at stuff that I can do in the hood. So I'll run those errands. I'll do whatever, return those library books, all those kinds of dumb things, go to the ATM, all those sorts of things. But again, I guess I would say location is clearly one of the most important. Like you can't mow your lawn when you're not at home. Sounds like a Roger Miller song. <laughs> <laughs> you can't roller skate in a buffalo patch, but you, um, you can be happy if you put your mind to it. <laughs> it's been a long week. Um, uh, but location's a big one. Another one is something that is really a super specific or super limited opportunity. Um, I think one context a lot of people with real jobs love is a context for each person who's very important in your life. That could be your partner if you own a company, right? Or it could be your assistant or your boss. 
So your at boss con, uh, context means like here's here's the here are the tasks that I have to address with this person in like a face to face or or in an email or wherever. But but again, limited, right? So I mean, at family is meaningless. Family is a project, not a context. You know, family is a desirable series of outcomes. It's not uh, something you can do, God willing, unless you live in West Virginia. The um. The other thing is that I believe they have to be utterly practical. If you, I would say, be circumspect about any context that you have not used in a while and be careful about any context that only really have one thing in them. Because it sounds silly, but like taking those out can be very freeing. Getting rid of old projects, certainly everybody knows that. But getting rid of contexts you're not using anymore or, or updating them, right? If there's a new thing, if you have a different, um, a different area like where, like say for example, there's errands that you can run near where you pick your kid up. I don't know. It's your life. But make it about those limitations and about those opportunities, right? So it's a mix of limitation and opportunity. That's what makes a good context. But just make sure it's very, very practical. You don't need to have an at printer context like I once did. <laughs> you should have seen this ridiculous. I had this like five level productivity sandwich where it was like at house, at home office, at desk, at printer. I was like, you know what, buddy? You don't need that much specificity. It's okay. Just at house would be fine. Also, I will repeat my annual reminder about a dumb distinction I make in life that I think is useful. The place that you work is the office. Yeah. The thing that you do is your work. The place where you live is your house. The things that you care about with your family is your home. So that sounds really silly, but I think that's really important. I don't, I don't call, I don't call this place. I don't call this work. I call this office. Office is a place. House is a place. Home. What, is okay. What does the, what is making that distinction by you? Several things. Uh, first of all, it tells me that um, I can do my work anywhere but I only have one office. Mm -hmm. I should be thinking about my family everywhere, even though I only have one home or house, I should say. I just think that's an important, that can be an interesting mental distinction to make. It is largely mental, but how many of you out there struggle with the fact that you could work anywhere and yet you have a desk somewhere? I bet you struggle with that. We talked about this back, I feel like, yeah, we talked about this when we had young kids. Yeah. And how difficult it was to close the laptop. And, and especially if you work at home, oh, my yeah. God, how do you know, how do you, it's like I used to say, it's like the, the, you have these tissue paper walls or like ice cube walls that just could melt away at any time you could go pick up your laptop. You have to like hack on yourself to go like, well, no, I don't open my laptop after work until the kid's asleep. For example, I don't care, make up your own rule, but like understand that like you need to be thinking about your home life, even when you're not at the house and you need to, you may need to think about your work life even when you're not at the office, but then make distinctions and honor them. However you decide those rules work and you will be a saner person. You see how I took it and I turned it? I love it. Uh, see, this is negative. This listener Jay wrote in about salespeople, but I don't want to be a dick. So I'm going to skip Yeah, let's one. go. Here's, here's all you, all you need to know, know in life is this. You don't need me to love you. You need you to love you. Like you need to love what you do. If you like what you do, whatever it is, please stop caring how I feel about it. If you, if, if it's a, if, if you're worried about what I think of what you do for a living, you need to change your job because you shouldn't, you should not care what I think. I am just a guy who has an opinion and it was <laughs> good father. <laughs> nice guy. <laughs> What's the line? Uh, uh, you know, we can't say it on the air, can we? Yeah, you can say it on the air. 
but listen, I think we all can agree that sales is a tough racket. I know there are nice people that do that. Um, if you want to get some distance to help you understand why people like Dan and me might be frustrated sometimes with salespeople, stop thinking like a salesperson and start thinking about somebody who has absolutely no interest in being approached by a salesperson. And now imagine lots of people doing that, even though we have a running bit about please not contacting us as a salesperson. If you don't see the Delta in that, I can't help you. Yeah. I got nothing for you. Yeah. Few more quickies. Listener Jim, what's the greatest idea you guys had and didn't use? Dan, what's the greatest idea that you have ever had but didn't use? Mm. Feel free, mine's crazy. So yeah, let's, well, let me hear yours first. Then. Oh, come on. Really? Then I, mm. they, the best idea like an, for an invention? Okay. I have had a lot of ideas for restaurants. I've been a waiter. I've been a busboy. I have um, been in a family that does restaurant things. I, and I eat out a lot. Um, and all through my life, I've had ideas for restaurants back when I was on the podcast called you look nice today. We've got like five or six episodes just about inventing awkward restaurants. <clears throat> I had a list on fives about my five, uh, novelty family restaurants. There is one kind of restaurant. I'll tell you my two ideas. Idea number two, I like to take a walk in the middle of a meal. Sometimes if it's a real big meal, I treasure going to the men's room because I just want to get up and walk around, right? Let, 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 let it loose. So idea number two for a restaurant. It's a restaurant that is designed around the fact that people would probably like to take a walk in the middle of their meal. We're going to accommodate that. We're going to structure the restaurant around it. Here's how it works. You come in, you have a drink, you get an appy, you maybe get a salad, right? You might get a small course. You might get a first course. You get your Primero course, right? At that point, everybody goes and takes a walk. You go out, you take a walk, you look at the water, you come back, you sit down and we serve you your dinner, the rest of the main course. Other ways we could do this, we could also do it that you just leave whenever the hell you feel like it and we just warm it up for you when you come back. I like, I'm going to call it the take a walk restaurant. All right. That's number two. Number one is an idea that I've had in my head since college. I, I understand this is a bit lots of people have had. This is actually a thing I wish I had in life and I've thought about it since college. I want a sauce-centric dining experience concept. It is a restaurant designed around sauces and gravies. We're going to invert, invert it. We're going to invert it. Instead of being a place where we go like we have a protein and some sauces, this place is going to have literally dozens and dozens of sauces. And then it's just all about what kind of stuff you want sauces poured on or you want to dip into a sauce. We got them all. We're going to have them all. We're going to have au jus. Forget about it. We're going to have like five kinds of au jus. We're going to have all sorts of mayonnaise. We're going to have, we're going to have like a Korean mayonnaise. We're going to have it all. It's going to be every sauce, condiment, and gravy imaginable. So imagine like when you go to dim sum, they're constantly like interrupting you because they want to give you more dim sum. Right. Imagine there's sauciers and they're just walking around with carts. Or you could, it could be a bar. We could deploy it through a bar. We could have that in an airport. It's all about the sauces. That's okay, that's the name. All about the sauce. And you come in there, it's, it's sauces, it's white gravies, it's brown gravies vegan gravy if you're a monster but it's really all about and then you pick what you like you like you, your kid likes chicken nuggets not a problem we got chicken nuggets you want celery no skin off my teeth it's all about the sauces now that's an idea that I have I would be very happy if someone I think I mean cut me in a little bit put me on your board or something but if you make the all sauce restaurant I will be a customer but I do not have the money to make it so for that reason I am out <laughs> <laughs> well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. As you know, I've sold over $500 million on QVC. <laughs> Have you seen all the blueprints of the boxes I invented? Oh my God. <gasps> my favorite's Barbara. 
Yeah. I love Barb. Well, I like Chris. You know, I'm kind of sort of kind of pals with Chris from back in the day. But uh, Barbara's my favorite. <sighs> Who do you like? You like Mr. Wonderful. I like Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, he's terrific. Ever since Trump, he seems really nice. Yeah. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, in comparison, right. I used to think he's kind of a Donald Trump character. Now he seems amazing. He calls it, a, he calls it like he sees it. Yeah, and he's, he's not gonna very. Kill, not gonna kill any kids. <laughs> here's what you know. What back to our yeah. Apple conversation? If you yeah, think of Apple as Mr. Wonderful, mm-hmm. you'd you'd be right on. Mm. Think about it. I'll leave you with that. Cupcake in a cup. <laughs> uh, I got one final one. Uh, friend of the show, uh, Tony Sindelar. Hello, 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 Tony. My friend Tony from the Incomparable Network, who I love. Uh, he asked. He he. He actually kind of rescinded this question. He asked, "Why are we still watching The Walking Dead?" And I don't know, Tony. I don't know. Ah, ah, ah. I don't know what is wrong with me that I still give this show a chance. I'll probably keep watching it, but this season has nearly killed me. I've never, uh, never seen one episode. And then he says, less grumpy, Tony, and you're in on this one and then we're done here. Dunzo. Less grumpy, Tony. What are some things that you are enjoying slash appreciating recently? I like hearing about things that bring people joy. Tony Sindelar. What's that? What's making you happy in your neck of the woods? Parks and Rec. That's one, right? That's a new one. That's actually on my list. It's on my list from this morning before, or from last week, this morning, before we talked on my list, Parks and Recreation. What um, else you got? Uh, you know, I'm excited. Watches. You're excited about watches. Excited about watches. I do love, do love my watches. Um, do you it, want to promote your new program? Sure. Yeah. I, I have, a, I have a, a new show that I'm doing with a friend of mine who is a, uh, a watchsmith, which means he, uh, he is one of those crazy people who likes to take watches apart and clean them. Is he them. an antiquarian horologist? Yes. And he likes to put them back together again. And he does this with uh, typically vintage watches. And um, I met him on Instagram. I was following his amazing photos that he takes of these watches. And I actually bought a couple of vintage watches from him and we just sort of you know, struck up a little bit of a friendship. And I, uh, I was so interested. We would have these really wonderful conversations where he'd tell me all this crazy stuff that he knows about watches and what goes into repairing them and the history of them. And I said, man, it would be the most fun to just make a fun show out of this. And he, he thought the idea would be something fun. And so we have come out with a show. It's called Unwound. It is at five by five dot TV slash unwound. And uh, we just, it's if, if you've ever been a little bit interested in watches new or old uh, it's, it's something that's a lot of fun and we have a great time doing it. And I learned something uh, just like here. I learned something new every time I do a show with them. So I'll, I'll put link in the show notes. We'd love to have you listen, check it out. Dan, please tell people where to find show notes for episode 318 of your Back to Work program. Of course. It is going to be at 5by5.tv slash B is in brothers, 2 is in the number, W is in women slash 318. It's all about the sauce. It is. I have a strange, I'm going to tell you some of mine, <clears throat> and then I got to go pick my dumb kid. Um, I have um, I have a few, a weird new thing that I do in the morning. I'm not, <laughs> so effing weird. I'm not sure how this happened. Um does your daughter have the Ikea play kitchen? 
Are you familiar with the Ikea? Yes, kitchen? and yes, she does. It's got the gray sink. Yes, and the it's little got, lights like, the that cab- light up for the, the f- burners. It's, it's very clever. Yes, 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 yes. I don't know if Mars haven't worked in years, but the, <laughs> yes, exactly right. And it's kind of cool because it could be an oven. It could be a cabinet. It could be a microwave. Yes. It's one of the – Ikea has great stuff. they got that great easel. They have um, – yeah, so in the interest of making room for all of the books, we moved her IKEA play kitchen out of the uh, out of her room a while ago, and we stuck it in our room because who cares about us? And um, one day I was uh, one morning I was thinking, you know, before going to the office, I um I want to you know look at my world, find out what I should be freaked out about, and do some things. <laughs> and I found myself grabbing my daughter's IKEA play kitchen, and I turned it around into what we call Millennium Falcon mode. Because when we play oh. Millennium Falcon, we'd always use the back of that for the controls for the Millennium Falcon. Um, and I would put my laptop or my iPad on there. i put my coffee on there. And I'd stand at her IKEA play kitchen, which is almost exactly the perfect height for a, a standing desk. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> okay, so I stand. So I can't stand with the sink facing my dingus. It's got to go outward, right? So i got to go in Millennium Falcon mode. And, uh, and I sit there and I look out the window to uh, the east, don't be creepy. Sunlight <laughs> beaming in. I get, I'm getting tons of sunlight, morning sunlight. I'm having my coffee. Everything's coming up Millhouse. And uh, that's become a ritual that I really enjoy. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. So that's a fun thing I do. Before I go to work and do whatever I do in this horrible, messy office, I like having a moment to do whatever it is I feel like doing. That's also where I was doing my morning pages when I was doing that. And uh, it's helped me get reacquainted with my neighborhood. I've started identifying and enjoying particular dogs. I started noticing that there's a guy who lives in a car near my house. I've gotten reacquainted with my neighborhood through this strange ritual. And it's been really, I guess part of my recommendation is to get uh, an Ikea child's kitchen to use as a standing desk uh, is one idea. But um, these little small rituals, I think finding little small rituals, and I don't mean, doesn't have to be a compulsion, but a little thing that pleases you in your day can be a nice thing. It could be that you go and you make yourself a plate of protein at three o'clock, whatever it is, but find a little nice ritual for yourself. It doesn't have to be complete, you know, you time, but that has made me very happy. I love that. I've I've also been trying to find more things to not care about. That is uh, turning out to be very valuable. As I think I mentioned uh, at some point, I recently discovered the Cartoon Network show, We Bear Bears, which is about three brothers, a grizzly bear, a panda bear, and a polar bear who have adventures and it's very sweet and it's not quite as like ruckus and angry and actually for adults as a lot of cartoon network stuff. Check out we bear bears still enjoying parks and recreation. And as will be discussed on an upcoming episode, this week's episode of reconcilable differences, I've been really getting back into um, the music of Amy Mann. She has a really good new album and I've been going back and listening to Magnolia and bachelor number two and some of the classics from the earlier days. And that's been making me very happy. I like that. Fun stuff. Some stuff that makes you happy, not angry. It's a happy day. It's a happy day. Mm-hmm. ABC, always be closing. Yeah. Dan, this has been a good week. I think so. Big week. Yeah. You're going to buy yourself a Mac Pro when it comes out? Eh, I bet you will. I, bet I you probably will. will. I mean, I, I bet you will. I'm, I might. Yeah. We'll yeah. see. We'll I mean, find I, out. You know, it'll see, depending on how much it is. and Somebody should check in on Walt, though. I hope he's okay. Ah, he's fine. Guy like yeah. that, you don't need all mm-hmm. at once. You don't all at once. Mm. Let's button this up. I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man. 